The following message is brought to you by Champions Church. For more information, please visit champschurch.com. I want to get into the Word. I'm excited to get into the Word. This has been a, a very unusual start to a new year. And I have, I've got friends in, in other places, uh, uh, overseas and things like that. They handle things differently. And, and so I've often been a part of some of their activities, and, and I've got to say there's just a different mentality. Uh, so here we really celebrate the, the holiday season that we have, right? I mean, um, I have to pick and choose what I wear in January differently because of the activities that exist in November and December. So in my world, too, it's even amplified. I mean, I've got, uh, personally, my birthday falls in December, my wife's falls in January. So between Thanksgiving and then birthday celebrations, and then you have Christmas and all the activities that go with that, and you have New Year's, and then we have, you know, my wife's birthday in early January. We've got like this two-month stretch of, of party time. Yeah, it's just total celebration, and it, it's, it's great. So it was, we're closing out the year. You know, for me, it's, it's, it's nonstop activities and fun. Well, when, when travel isn't restricted like it is, it's not uncommon uh, to get an invitation, for, for me to personally get an invitation, to go join a friend of our congregation here in his uh, West African congregation in Nigeria, and, and they will do a 30-day stretch of, of fasting, prayer and fasting, to prepare for the new year. And what's really funny is, you know, if you interrupt the, the West's holiday schedule by asking people to, to do things like that, it really kind of gets in the way. But I asked one time, I was like, does, do, does that not bother anyone because of the holidays? Well, the reality is, I mean, Thanksgiving is a, an American holiday. It doesn't really, you know, translate to other countries. But the mentality was, we want to be prepared for this new year. Now, in every church that I've ever been a part of or, or worked with in, in the West, it seems like the new year comes and then we get prepared for it. We would have our, our New Year's consecrations and all of those things in January. And, and the reality is the year's already kicked off. Well, I can tell you I've never felt a month go by quicker than I felt this past month. I mean, we're already closing out the first month of 2021, and, and I don't know if you feel the same way, but my mind is blown that we're already this deep into this new year. So you're going to hear why I'm saying all of that here in a moment. I mean, the messages this past month have been geared toward the newness of the year. And, and I can't believe we're about to step into February, and here we are talking about the newness of the year. But I, I want to, to share a word with you this morning about God doing new things. Now, last week we talked about God doing something new as it concerns making a, a way where there doesn't seem to be a way. And we heard that in a lot of our music this morning as we were praising and giving thanks together. That God hasn't just done that one time in the past and, and we look back on it uh, as, as this testimony that he exists and that he's powerful, but rather he revealed that this is how he functions and operates in our lives today. I, I want to get into the word this morning and continue to talk about God doing new and wonderful things in your life here and now. So here's, here's a few things that we'll find as we get through the word uh, this morning as we, we move through it together. We're going to find out, you know, one, what God will do. 
What God will do, and I mean, we're, we're, we're playing a little fast and loose with that because we've attached that to just about every message over the past few weeks, but I think it's important for us to see the passages of Scripture that we, we hang that truth on, that are the, the foundations that support that belief in our lives. Another thing we're going to find are two things that Jesus does for us. Now, I try to adjust my vocabulary, and I, I don't catch it all the time, but, but I try to, to watch uh, how I handle tense, present tense, past tense. Not two things that Jesus did for us, but two things that he does. There, there is an element of his activity, present and active, in your life on a day-to-day basis, and these are things that he does. Here's a great example of that. Jesus died on the cross. You know, past tense, died. That was an event that took place. You could put a date on it. It was in the past. He's not presently dying in the, in the present, and he's not going to die in the future. Rather, he died on the cross, and God raised him, past tense, from the dead. But now he lives. That's present tense. So the death, past tense, the resurrection, past tense, but the living, present tense. And he will live forevermore. It's a way to, to put a future uh, uh, expression on that the reality that he lives. Uh, so when we're talking about these things, we're going to find two things that Jesus does right here and now in your life, present, present tense. A third thing we're going to find is what we should be looking for. What we should be looking for, and I, I want to explain what that means, and of course by the time we get there, hopefully it'll just make sense to all of us, but I have had so many different pieces of information, different circumstances and situations and all kinds of stuff uh, come my way. I mean, now we all have that because of the devices that we live with, our, our phones and tablets and computers and things. You process so much information, so much more than you used to. You know, used to, to, to know the news, you had to either carve out time and, and sit down and, and make a place because it was going to air and it was only going to air at a certain time. If you missed it, you missed it, you know, or you had to subscribe to a periodical where they would, would, you know, bring that to your doorstep and you would take it and when you had time, you would read it. Now information is constantly coming your way. Some of it has been invited. Some of it has not been invited. I mean, I, I marvel when I look at, at you know, some of the technology that sits in my hand, whether it's in a phone or tablet or computer. And there's so many things that that, that technology thinks I would be interested in based on becoming aware of what I have expressed interest in in the past. So you'll have things come your way that you have not even asked for, but yet there's so much information coming your way. As we go through that information, there are things we need to keep in mind. There are things that we need to look for. Now, when we were having our men's meeting on Saturday, a, a psalm was shared. I want to uh, share with you the, the psalm, its location in the scriptures, and, and I want to encourage you to read it. it, was Psalm 112, Psalm 112. It was shared with the men's group for this reason, because I had, had come to a point where I uh, received so much information that was being processed that was undesirable, that it wasn't enjoyable. The, not just the volume of information coming in, but the information itself. Uh, some of the information that was coming in it would have been things that I, I either didn't like or maybe didn't agree with or possibly knew what the consequences would be down the road. You know, sometimes information comes in and it doesn't seem like a big deal until you know what that's going to mean, you know, down the road. And 
And so many things were coming my way, I began to get discouraged, uh, frustrated. And, and I'm, I use big words here and just know that big words are the result of big convictions. I began to, to feel depressed. And what I know is that as a believer, uh, one that is, is filled with the things of God, one who's, who's had uh, Jesus offer his own joy and peace and righteousness into my life, I should not be dealing with depression. So it meant something was off there, you know. And this psalm, Psalm 112, really got things back to center for me. And if you've dealt with any of those things and you go and you and, uh, take the time to sit and, and, and get into the word there, I would encourage you to check Psalm 112, the promises attached to it, that those who fear the Lord will. It means no matter what news, no matter what situation, no matter what circumstance, no matter what you face or deal with, with Jesus as your king, the result will be favorable. And this passage of scripture really helps get things recentered. And, and really and truly, we're going to see the same principle in what we're going to get into the word uh, concerning today. So what God will do, I mentioned that's one of the things we're going to find. I want to jump right into that. If you have your Bibles, uh, go to the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 42. I want to begin reading around verse 9. Uh, we're going to read uh, uh, several passages there between 9 and 13. But we're going to take from these passages and lay a, a bit of a base, a, a bit of a foundation. So Isaiah chapter 42, God is speaking and he says, Behold, former things have come to pass, and now I declare new things. And before they come to pass, you know, would I not proclaim them to you? Now, I want to stop there because that's, that's important to me. You could read right past that and you could miss what that means or, or why God would say it. Uh, you know, sometimes we see things like that in the scripture and, and if we don't take the time to identify what's being communicated there, we could miss out on something really rich and, and really powerful. Uh, let me ask you a question. You don't have to answer it out loud, but just, just answer it there in your head. Have you ever heard somebody quote, you know, fake scripture, made up Proverbs, right? So I, I used to, to have a, a connection with a, a gentleman, great guy, wonderful guy, but yet he was notorious for really fabricating a lot of things and saying, you know, the Bible says. Well, the Bible says, and he'd say something, he'd be like, no, your grandma might say that, but that's not what the Bible says, you know. And one of the things that he would say all the time, you know, and, and it was just kind of a thing that had become a bit of a slogan or a statement for him was, you know, the Bible says that the Lord works in mysterious ways. It's one of the things he'd say. I mean, we, we hear that, and if you say that, I'm not picking on you. The person I'm referring to is not in the room, and if you do say that, uh, I'm, I'm sorry for it's just sheer coincidence there. I'm not offering this as correction, but you might rethink it, and you might rethink it based on this. I mean, I think what people are trying to say when they make that statement, you know, the Bible says that God works in mysterious ways. What they're trying to say is that God can do some really weird things. Things that maybe make you uncomfortable, things maybe you didn't see coming. But the reality is the Bible actually promises the opposite. In fact, it's being promised here. God's saying, hey, don't think about the past. Rather, I'm going to do something new, and will I not proclaim it to you first? I'm going to tell you first. I mean, the scripture says that, you know, though some of us might stand on, well, the Bible says God works in mysterious ways. The reality is the scripture says God does nothing. I mean, let that word process in your mind, nothing. That means no exception. God does nothing without first revealing it to his servants, the prophets. 
So you can take the idea that, you know, God's doing all this stuff and, and nobody has a clue and we just hope it all works out. And, and you can realize that's really not who God is. Rather, God is a loving father who's revealing to us the things that he's doing so that we can have the security and the safety of putting our trust in and our faith in him who's faithful to bring it to pass. So what is this new thing that he's doing? What's this thing that he's going to reveal and speak of and then bring to pass? When you continue to read through Isaiah 42 there, you come to passages like this. I want to offer these to you. The Lord will go like a warrior. He'll move forward and and he'll stir his zeal like a man of war. He'll utter a shout. Yes, he'll raise a war cry. And then this passage closes with, he will. I want you to to catch the emphasis on the word will, not might, not could. This This is absolute. He will prevail against his enemies. I mean, we, we opened up this whole you know, passage of Scripture under the understanding that we would find what God will do. If the question is, what will God do, and we apply this passage of Scripture, the answer is God will prevail against his enemies. I mean, for us as the saints, for us as as believers, bought by the blood of Jesus, for us as as Christians, this truth is a powerful truth to to have as the filter for all information that we process. I mean, it, it needs to be the front door and the back door for everything that goes in our minds, everything that we take in through our eyes, our ears, whatever it is that we're processing, we need to understand that this is a truth. God will prevail. God will prevail. And I tell you, I find myself saying that more and more. Maybe you're reading a headline or seeing what's going on on the other side of the world, and though your mind is trying to comprehend, you know, how is this going to work out, your heart needs to be steadfast in the the truth on the foundation that God will prevail. I want to give you a passage of Scripture. Now, we used this uh, uh, previously over the past few weeks, but I want to uh, uh, revisit it. Uh, out of the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1. Now, we read verses around 68 through 75 there, and these are passages of Scripture that are talking about what God accomplishes through Jesus, what he's accomplished in my life and in your life through redemption, through, through Jesus uh, being sent to take our place on the cross, to, to be raised up, and for, uh, for him to rule and reign forevermore. We read these uh, passages, they read like this. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, who's visited us and accomplished redemption for his people. He's raised up for us salvation, just as he spoke through his prophets, who have been from the very beginning, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all of those who hate us. He's doing this to show mercy to our fathers and to remember his promise that he swore, that he would give to us this wonderful benefit, that when saved from our enemies, we might serve him without fear in holiness and in righteousness all of our days. God's done this work through Jesus in my life and in your life to position us to be free from all fear and anxiety. He's promised to deliver us from the hands of our enemies. Remember, that's what we read in Isaiah that he will do. He will prevail against his enemies. Now, he's done all of this, and he's positioned us to function and operate as as a, a wonderful and powerful force on the earth today, a force that's not 
uh, crippled by fear and by anxiety. When you read the last words of, of this passage that we read in Luke, you can see the result is that we can do the will of God without being afraid. And that we can live in two things, holiness and righteousness. Holiness and righteousness. Holiness being free from all of the, the bondage of sin and all of the captivity that comes with it. You can actually walk in freedom. The freedom of not being bound to anything corrupt, not having a hold on your heart or your mind. And then righteousness, to be in right standing and to do the right thing. To be equipped to actually make the choices and the decisions that are pleasing to God. Now this is all the wonderful result of the work of Jesus Christ. And God's spoken about this from the very beginning. And he's spoken about this in a very strategic and intentional way. I want to look in the scripture and see that way. I want to see him refer to it in the past. I want to see Jesus refer to it as he ministers and leads us. And I want to see how it affects our lives here and now. I want to give you a passage of scripture out of the book of Exodus. We're going to look at a conversation between Moses and God. And God's going to reveal something. He's going to reveal something very powerful and very intentional that's going to affect us. So if you have your Bibles there, go to the book of Exodus. We're going to look at Exodus chapter 19. Exodus chapter 19. I want to look at verse 3. Is that what you needed? Exodus 19? Yeah. Exodus 19. I want to look at verse 3. Moses went up to, to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the people of Israel. So God's revealing this message to Moses, and here's the message. You yourselves have seen what I did, what I accomplished in Egypt, how I carried you out and brought you unto myself. So I want to pause there for a second. If God were speaking this directly to you today, without any example from the thing of the past, he would simply call you by name and identify, now you've seen what I've done for you. I saved you from the sin and corruption of your past and how I brought you into the things of my kingdom. Every one of us could apply that to our life through our testimony, our testimony of being born again, our testimony of redemption, deliverance from past addiction and bondage and sin and corruption, and that he would call us unto himself. Now we see this, this statement that follows this uh, uh, sharing of that testimony. Now then, if you respond to my voice, keep my word, you'll be my own possession among all peoples, for all of the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. He goes on to confirm that these are the words that you'll speak to Israel. Now, what's really funny to me, and I read things in a goofy way. I mean, I'm sure you've picked that up by now. Some of the things that seem like they're the main point of that passage of Scripture might not be the main point to, to one reader over another. One of the most important lines in that, that whole passage of Scripture, to me personally, and it doesn't have to be that way to you, uh, it doesn't uh, uh, mean that one, one perspective is right and the other one is inferior in any way, but one of the most important lines in this is that last one. These are the words that you shall speak to Israel. 
I mean, here's what I understand when I read that, that here's an appointment. It's an appointment between Moses, who's leading a nation, and the Most High God, who has, has called everything in heaven and earth into existence. I mean, this is a really important conversation. This is a conversation that's highly efficient. I mean, the, the words that are being spoken are being chosen. They're very intentional. Uh, there's no slop. There's no slack. Nobody went into this meeting kind of halfway prepared and maybe it'll work out. God doesn't function like that. When I see something like this last line, these are the words which you shall speak, what God is confirming is this is intentional, this is on purpose. Don't deviate from it. Don't add to it. Don't take away from it. I've chosen these words. This is what you're to go and say. It emphasizes a priority and an urgency to pay very close attention. And when God's speaking these very intentional words, he's revealing, one, what he's done in the past, and two, why he's done it. He's positioned us now to be a possession of his own. That among all the peoples of the earth, we might be called by his name. According to this passage of scripture, he's made us to be a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. I want to talk about that idea, uh, that, that reality that God would call us to be a kingdom. Uh, Jesus spoke about it. In fact, it was an urgent message with Jesus. He began to speak about uh, our, our call to be a kingdom from the very beginning. I'll give you a couple of passages for your notes there. Specifically, Matthew chapter 4, around verse 17, Jesus is speaking, and, and uh, it, it's, it's describing his speech and his messages as follows, from that time forward, Jesus began to preach and say, and now this comes in quotes, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We may have to read between the lines just a little bit here, but what we see is that when Jesus would preach, the reason for his preaching would be this call to repent because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He would speak about the kingdom. It goes on uh, further on down in Matthew chapter 4, talking about Jesus, talking about the kingdom. It says, Jesus was going throughout the land, teaching in the synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease, healing every kind of sickness. We see this as a priority in his message, that he would talk about the kingdom of God. Now, we've spoken about the kingdom in the past, but I want to apply this today based on our current situation, our, our current uh, dealings, that we process so much information coming in and out, it needs to be understood that all of that information needs to be filtered through the kingdom, that God would call us to function, to operate, to live, and to succeed as a kingdom. I, I want to give you a, a passage of scripture here. I mentioned to you in the past that there were two things that Jesus does for you. I mean, he's doing these things right here, right now. <clears throat> they're, they're, they're accomplished in the past. They're being accomplished right now. They'll be accomplished in the future. But I want to read to, to you this passage of Scripture from the book of Revelation. I want to look at Revelation chapter 1, uh, verse 6. It's speaking of Jesus. It says that Jesus, who loves you and releases you from your sins by his blood. I mean, there's forgiveness. There's your your redemption, there's your being born again. But then there's the second side of this. There's the word and, and being inclusive. It's compounding these two things. The first thing, being released from your sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom. 
priests to God the Father. The passage of Scripture is to send praise to to Jesus, and the passage closes with, to Jesus be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So you see these two things in this statement of praise. Remember, the point is to give thanks. Jesus, thank you for this wonderful work that you've done. You deserve all glory. You deserve all honor. And then the work is described. The first portion of this work is this powerful act of redemption. That we would be released from our sins. I love the word released, meaning that the sin and corruption had a hold on you. If I were to take this microphone and release it, I would no longer be supporting it or holding it up. It would no longer be under my control. We were released from our sin, and we were released by something powerful, that thing being the blood of Jesus, the shed blood of Jesus, the reason for the cross. And then the result, we were made to be a kingdom, a kingdom of priests. Uh, Revelation chapter 5, verses 9 and 10 read like this. Worthy is Jesus... He's worthy, he was slain, and he purchased for God with his own blood men from every tribe, every tongue, and every nation. He has made them to be a kingdom of priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. Now, oftentimes, I've been working in in Christian ministry circles where we get so hung up on functioning and operating as churches and organizations that we can so easily lose sight of this reality and this truth that God has established a kingdom, a singular kingdom to function and operate on the earth today. Not a group of institutions that all have different, you know, bylaws and boards and things along those lines, but rather everyone purchased by the blood of Jesus has been brought in to the kingdom of God. I come to a place where I want to find out more and more about the kingdom of God. I care less and less about the institutions of men and more and more about the kingdom of God. And the more that I begin to see and rightly apply the things of the kingdom of God in my life, the more I enjoy the results. I'll give you a couple of examples of that. Uh, one would be the following out of Matthew chapter 6. I, I mentioned before we're going to find out what we should be looking for. I want to offer this to you now, what we should be looking for. Now, Matthew chapter 6 is talking about a number of things, uh, you know, people dealing with everyday life and everyday issues. You live everyday life. You deal with everyday issues. I mean, I'm no different. I'm the same. Jesus is acknowledging those things. He's saying we all have life issues, challenges, things that we uh, maybe are concerned about. But rather, he's responding to those concerns by giving us a direction in how we ought to carry ourselves. He says this in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and its righteousness, and everything else will be added to you. Another way to say that is everything else will will take care of itself. I mean, I use a term a lot, and and probably too much, so much so that... uh, my wife probably cringes when she hears it, and that's, it'll work out. It'll work out. You know, that can become kind of a default where you're, you're no longer, you know, responsible for any explanation or providing any details, you know. So you got to understand that while that statement might be true, that statement might not be very tasteful if you're sitting watching TV, not even looking when your wife's talking to you and your response is, it'll work out, you know. 
you should probably shut off the TV, turn, make eye contact, and say, I want to hear all of your thoughts on that, and I'd like to know why that concerns you. And then I want to offer you how I feel about it. But please, you go first. Did, did we record that? I need a copy of that. But it'll work out. I mean, that, that, that whole idea, that whole concept is centered around this, this promise. If I can keep the kingdom of God a priority in my life, if I can pursue it, even knowing that God and his goodness, his favor, his mercy will fill in all the gaps and all the voids that I'm inevitably going to, to, to introduce into this, this uh, a pursuit. <clears throat> because of my imperfections, because of my failures, when I know that God's going to fill in <clears throat> excuse me, every one of those gaps by his goodness, I have this as a promise. That a commitment to seek and to, to pursue his kingdom first and foremost in anything that I'm facing or anything that I'm dealing with, anything that is touching my life or anything that my life touches, his promise is it'll work out. It'll work out. That's such a casual way to put it. It's not meant to be irreverent, but the reality is all of these things shall be added unto you is a very formal way to say it'll work out. Seeking first his kingdom. That's really why I want to prioritize it. I, I do want to seek it. Now, I want to tell you this. We're going to look at a couple of passages of Scripture. And while I were to, to stand and say, hey, if you want things to, to work out, and no matter what you're dealing with, we've got to seek the kingdom of God first. How many are on board for that? You know, I'm sure hands would go up. Yes, sign me up for that. I want to seek the kingdom of God because I know that he'll make things work out well. And, and that's what I desire. Now, if I were to read these next two scriptures to you first, fewer hands might go up because seeking the kingdom of God is going to position you to be in spots that might be uncomfortable. I'm saying might there because I really love you and I don't want you to get up and gather your things and leave, at least not until we say God bless you goodbye, right? Because seeking the kingdom of God will, based on the scripture, it will position you to be in positions that are uncomfortable. So much so that I've been able to identify in certain situations and in certain circumstances whether or not I was seeking the kingdom of God based on how comfortable I was. If I found that I was comfortable, I really wasn't seeking the kingdom of God. If I found that I was uncomfortable, I was. And, and I'll give you what I'm talking about here. That's not presented in some manipulative or abusive way. I'll let the scripture speak for itself and I'll save myself from tripping over my own tongue. Let me give you a, a passage of scripture here. Uh, Matthew chapter 5 verse 3. Matthew chapter 5 verse 3 offers a promise of the kingdom of God and it communicates the, the necessary mentality, the necessary state of being to function and to operate in the kingdom of God, to, to seek the kingdom of God and see it applied to your life or your situation. Matthew chapter 5 verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of God. Poor in spirit. I mean, I, that's one that we could spend all of our time this morning and, and, and time to come pondering and, and seeking God on. I want to offer you uh, this just straight from the concordance, which is really a, a dictionary for words used in the Bible. Here's a, 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 a definition for that word that is translated poor. Poor in spirit. Powerless to accomplish an end. Powerless to accomplish an end. 
Now, most of the time when we use the word poor, we think monetarily. We think, we think money. You know, that's just kind of how we use that word a lot. And, and if I went to go and purchase something, and yet I was in a position of being poor in that situation, I wouldn't be able to purchase it. I wouldn't be able to accomplish what I set out to accomplish. So that, that makes sense. That definition makes sense. But when we think about being poor in spirit, what this means is we need to come to a place, if we're going to seek the kingdom of God, you first have to have the mentality that you can't do it. Now, you don't hear a lot of pastors preaching messages about what you can't do. In fact, you don't sell many books. You know, you don't go to the, the Christian bookstore and say, hey, I need to find your section on total failure. You got anybody that's just written books on total failure? Because I need a book that basically teaches me how, how to be completely powerless to accomplish an end. They can show you entire shelves and sections of books on how to be super, ultra, mega successful. You know, I mean, that's, that's, that's what sells, right? But what God is calling us to is a state of mind and a state of heart where we realize we can't do anything on our own. I look back on the past few years and I see that I've begun to lean more and more on my own arm and I, I don't like that. It's brought me to a place of repenting and saying, you know, God, I, I want to get back to those days when I did not trust my own arm for a second. But I put all of my trust in you and you alone. I want to keep that mentality. The more that I, I've, I've grown or the more that I've matured or the more that I've succeeded or prospered in anything, the risk is that I'll begin to trust myself and stop trusting you. And I want to constantly be in a state where I'm not seeking my kingdom but I'm seeking your kingdom. I want to stay poor in spirit. I want to be constantly in a state of understanding that I can't do anything without Jesus. I want to be poor in spirit. I'll give you another passage of scripture here as it concerns uh, seeking the kingdom of God and how it might position you to be in a state of being uncomfortable. Seeking the kingdom of God. I, I'm going to pull this one uh, from the Gospel of, of Matthew, uh, same chapter, chapter 5, just a few verses down, somewhere around verse 10. Blessed are those who've been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So this passage of Scripture is really interesting, exciting, and terrifying, all rolled up into one. You know, the idea that the kingdom of heaven is accessible to me is exciting, that it's wonderful. The idea that I've been called and invited into the kingdom of heaven. Now, the idea that the kingdom of heaven will come with persecution is, is something that, that can cause me to pause and think. And it should. It ought to cause us and, and to pause and count the cost. Because everybody wants the benefits of the kingdom of God. Nobody does not want those People who, who aren't even, uh, uh, who won't call upon the name of Jesus, who aren't believers, they still want the benefits of the kingdom of God. We all want them. They may look to government to provide them. They may look to, to immoral relationships to provide them. They may look to, to mammon or the love of money to provide them, but they're looking for those benefits. So for you and for me, as we look for those benefits, as we look for the kingdom of heaven and all of the, the promise that's attached to it, we have Jesus giving us this, this 
uh, road marker to understand when we're on the right track. He's saying, listen, when you're on the right track to the things of the kingdom of God, you'll know you're on the right track because of the persecution that's on that road. I'll give you a passage of scripture to reference there for your notes. I mean, I'm going to paraphrase from it, but you're welcome to, to visit it in your own time and read it. The Gospel of John, chapter 15. Gospel of John, chapter 15. I'm going to throw a dart in the dark here and say somewhere around verse 18. You'll, you'll find what I'm referencing. But Jesus is basically saying, hey, guys. Now, when he's saying, hey, guys, he's talking to the people in front of him. And through their writing, he's talking to you. Hey, guys, if they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you too. If they hate me, they're going to hate you too. I have to ask myself on occasion, does the world hate me? Does the spirit of this age hate me? The spirit of this age that celebrates and indulges in all kinds of, of immorality and all kinds of corruption and all kinds of, of infidelity and all kinds of greed and malice and, and, and violence, does the spirit of this age get along with me or does the spirit of this age find me to be a bit of a stick in the mud? We ought to, to examine that. Do I blend in with the world or do I stand out from the world? And in this case, as we seek the kingdom of God, we need to understand you're going to stand out. God's going to call you onto a road less traveled. He's going to call you to, to function and to operate in what the Bible would call peculiar ways. We are a people who will do things different. We will say things different. We will respond differently than the world would react. We're called to function and operate under a completely different set of rules. What is acceptable in the world may not be acceptable in the kingdom, and what is acceptable in the kingdom will be despised by the world. I know recently there was a, an election that took place and one individual ran on the platform, you know, America first. And, and in this case, the platform that we have as believers is the kingdom of God first. It's your platform. That in whatever we deal with, whatever we face, putting the kingdom of God first is necessary. Now, the result of putting the kingdom of God first is everything that makes up the kingdom. And the scripture promises us, if you want for your notes, you can write down Romans chapter 14, uh, verses 17 and 18. The kingdom of God promises uh, uh, three elements that make up the kingdom. Righteousness is one of them. Peace is one of them. And joy in the Holy Spirit is a third one. Righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost making up the kingdom of God. I mean, we desire to have righteousness in our lives. We desire to have peace in our lives. We desire to have joy in our lives. Therefore, you take those things and you realize you desire the kingdom of God in your life. Though it would mean standing out from the world, though it would mean being powerless to accomplish an end because you are in desperate need of Jesus. I want to offer this to you as we close, and it's the, the idea and the concept of taking the information that we've received in the Scripture and, and being able to apply it to our day-to-day -day life. 
to seek the kingdom of God, to seek the kingdom of God first, one indicates the, the, the priority, the urgency, or the, the chronolo- chronology, excuse me, in which we are, are doing these things. That in chronological order, if something comes first, then it's, it's early on. It's, it's, it's in the beginning. It's not an afterthought. It's not later. It's not, well, we tried it every other way under the sun, and finally we're going to do this. But rather, seeking it first means that this becomes how we enter into a situation. And then the idea that we're, we're seeking after the kingdom, I, I, I have to ask myself, what is the practical way to do that? I mean, I live in a country. I live in the country that is the, the most incredible country on earth. The United States of America is a wonderful and prosperous land, and I believe is, is operating under the benefits of a tremendous blessing from God. And should that blessing ever be lifted, God help us. But in this situation that we, we, we deal in, our, our minds and our, our attitudes and our habits are all shaped by this citizenship. So when I, and I have to develop the mentality now of being a part of a kingdom, something that God spoke of from the very beginning, uh, one of the ways in which he will prevail against our enemies and, and that the priority of every message that Jesus would preach, that I should change because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I have to ask myself, what do I need to change? I mean, you notice when he would preach, he didn't just say, hey, guys, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Open up in your Bibles to the book of Isaiah. But he would open it with the word repent, which just means change. He would say change because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What do I need to change so that I can seek first God's kingdom? I want to offer this to you as, as my personal thought, and I believe wholeheartedly that the scripture bears witness to it. I need to change who's in charge. I need to change who's in charge in my life. That's what needs to change. Because the kingdom of heaven is not a a patch of dirt that measures from this border to that border. Rather, the kingdom of heaven is the domain in which Jesus Christ is king. Kingdom being the domain of a king, a king's domain. And for the kingdom of heaven to be sought in my life, for the kingdom of heaven to be sought first in the words I speak, for the kingdom of heaven to be sought first in the thoughts I think, for the kingdom of heaven to be sought first in the things I take in through my eyes or my ears, for the kingdom of heaven to be sought first is simply to put Jesus as king over that situation, over that circumstance, over that item that's being dealt with or or walked through. And for us to walk in the benefits that God has promised us as they relate to his kingdom being present in our lives, it will require us to change who's in charge. To see Jesus elevated in every decision and every thought to the position of king. I want to ask you to stand with me this morning. I want to pray over us. I want to trust and believe God for great things. I'd mentioned before the motivation for for pursuing this element in the word, dealing with all the information that was coming in. So much information was was coming in. Much of it were were items that were were disagreeable to me personally, things that were, were disappointing to me personally, things that I thought in the end would be destructive 
uh, not only to me personally, but to those around me. Processing all of this information had me in a position of, of potential compromise until the reality set in that Jesus is king. Jesus is king. And his promise is that to seek his kingdom first, to put his authority first, to, to operate under the domain of his rule and his headship will bring everything to a place where it will work out. That I could truly seek first his kingdom no matter what information was being processed. And in the end, God wins. Just as we opened out of Isaiah, that he will prevail. It's a mentality that I want to exist in my life consistently. And I also want it for the, the body that, that makes up this congregation. For every one of us. To have a work done by the Holy Spirit here in our thinking and in our minds and in our hearts being softened and transformed to be led by the Holy Spirit for the purpose of putting Jesus rightfully on the throne of whatever it is that we're dealing with. Whatever we see, whatever we process, whatever we respond to, whatever we're responsible for. For Jesus to rule and for Jesus to reign is to seek first the kingdom of God. I want to pray and I want to ask God for this work to be effective in me and also in you. So there where you stand, you're welcome to simply be in a state of agreement or, or receiving. But I want to pray quickly and trust that God will do a work in each of us. Father, we bless your name and we thank you for our King Jesus. We thank you for his rule and for his reign. We rejoice in the promise of the word that there will be no increase that would, would surpass his throne, that his government would constantly grow over everything that we would see and everything that we would deal with, that nothing would rise above him, but that he would be exalted over all else. Truly, Jesus, the name above all names would prevail over all that would come against your people. And as we stand with our hearts surrendered and our minds offered up for renewal, we ask, Father, to be positioned to truly seek your kingdom first in all that we would see and all that we would do and all that we would release to this world through our words and actions. Let your kingdom be priority. And let it not simply be in a memorization of a passage of scripture, but let it be in relationship and fellowship with Jesus as our King. That we would truly position Him in the seat of authority in our heart. That He would truly have authority over the words that we speak, over the thoughts that we think, over the activities that we would participate in. Let Jesus rule and reign. And as your kingdom is established in and through our lives, let every one of your promises that we stand upon be revealed to us and through us to this world, that our lives would be living testimonies to your goodness, your faithfulness, and your prevailing power over all unrighteousness. We bless your name and we thank you in the mighty name of Jesus and all the saints declare, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Champions Church. We invite you to join us this Sunday for our celebration worship service. For more information, please visit us at champschurch.com.